Greetings, heathens. Welcome to Hail Satan. This is the podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. My name is Joseph Rose. I'm a member of an amazing independent congregation called Satanic Delco, and we welcome members from anywhere in the world. If you want to learn a little more, visit satanicdelco.com. Today, we're going to have a conversation that I've been told I shouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole because it's too risky, it's too sensitive. But fuck that. First, let's just say hello to some cool new Satanists that have joined up with us on Patreon. We've got Io, Candy, Agnimomo, Ryan, Darren, Adam, another Adam, Lainey, Karsten, Mirel, Clara, Serena, Pazuzu, Ash, Travis, and Naomi. Thank you all very much. Your support is a valuable part of keeping our thriving community thriving, and I'm happy to have you be a part of it. Please join us on Facebook and Zoom and Discord if you haven't already. And everybody else out there, if you have a moment, please visit our website at HailSatanPodcast.com. You'll find links to join me on social media, a form to send me an email, and a link to join up with the whole gang on Patreon. We have a few different tiers to choose from with various benefits, including the amazing Greetings from Hell Satanic Postcard of the Month Club. That is the most direct way you can support me and this show if you'd like to do that. Visit HailSatanPodcast.com. All right, settle in. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. First, let me offer some background and context for our discussion. This is how it all began. A member of Satanic Delco posted a video to our Facebook group. The video was Ricky Gervais's sharpest arguments against religion. Ricky Gervais is, among other things, a very outspoken atheist and this video was a compilation of clips of him talking about religion. Here is a tiny sample of that video. Why don't you believe in God? Well, that's a very strange question. Why don't you believe in God? You came up with it. Why why would I? Religion's greatest trick wasn't convincing some people that there was a God who was all-powerful. It was convincing everyone else that You couldn't ridicule the idea. Now, that little clip was the first one in the video, but I think it's actually pretty relevant as it relates to his attitude about things being too precious to be talked about or criticized. This is the basics of free speech, that absolutely no idea is beyond examination or ridicule. For those of you who are into the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple— This is what tenet number four is all about. We all have the freedom to offend. So that video was posted. And for a while, the lone comment posted under it said, minus the transphobia. 
It got my attention, but I left it alone. Before long, there was a comment that said, Fuck Gervais, he uses minorities for cheap laughs and engages in transphobic jokes. And then it was clear to me. We had to talk about this. So what is the goal of the episode? My first, most simple goal is to expose different perspectives on a subject, and in this case, one that is viewed as a sensitive topic. But that's the easy part. I could get a random person that likes Ricky Gervais and a random person that hates Ricky Gervais and let them argue. That doesn't really interest me. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that what often interests me are the exceptions to the rules. I'm attracted to ideas that don't fit so neatly in the most obviously shaped box. What I also really like is to showcase the diversity that exists within healthy communities. And when I say diversity, I don't mean some Harvard-style, quota-driven diversity by numbers. I mean real-world, honest diversity of thought and perspective. Americans, Democrats, trans people, Satanists, these are all groups. The people in each group or community are required to have one thing in common, just one. For example, in a community of Satanists, the only thing they need to have in common is that they're Satanists. They don't need to be anything else. They don't need to be the same age or race or share the same musical taste or political feelings. No matter what differences they have, they're still Satanists. But there's a very common misconception out there that I feel a strong need to push back against. It's this unspoken idea that if someone is a member of whichever community, they also need to fit these other seemingly unrelated criteria. And when they don't, when they don't keep in line with the majority view in their specific community, they are often made to be the outsider, the outcast. So my goal is to illustrate that such othering of people isn't necessary for a healthy community to thrive. In fact, I find the opposite to be true. I think living and interacting with differing perspectives puts a real tangible focus on critical thinking and empathy, and it makes individuals and their community better. So in a few moments, I will welcome three guests. They have some things in common, like the fact that they are all Satanists, they are members of Satanic Delco, and they are transgender. Having said that, I suspect that they each bring a unique perspective to the topics that we'll discuss today. So let's get into it. In case you don't know, in 2022, Netflix released a Ricky Gervais stand-up comedy special called Supernature. Ricky Gervais is a pretty well-known guy, so as expected, it received lots of attention and plenty of what they call backlash. But it's just a comedy special, so what could all the backlash be about? I did a quick Google search, and I will read to you just a few of the many headlines that popped out at me right away. Variety writes, Ricky Gervais's Netflix special draws criticism for graphic jokes mocking trans people. Them says, 
Netflix continues its transphobic comedy spree with Ricky Gervais's Supernature. The LA Times writes, Embattled Netflix releases Ricky Gervais's transphobic, defiantly anti-woke special. And The Guardian says, Ricky Gervais' Netflix special condemned by LGBTQ groups for anti-trans rants masquerading as jokes. Wow, that all sounds pretty intense. Surely he must have said some really awful, nasty things to draw such criticism. So what did he actually say? As you can imagine, over the course of a whole hour of talking, he said lots of things about many topics. As I sat down to prepare for this episode, I put on that special, and as it went along, I tried to make note of each topic or thing he joked about. I have a decent partial list, and it is in roughly chronological order from the start of the show to the end. During this special, Ricky Gervais made jokes about his own fans, women comedians, trans people, farting at a dead baby's funeral, himself, which he did a lot, Louis C.K., woke comedy, Kevin Hart, Liam Neeson, Americans, Californians, Christians, David Attenborough, Ghost Hunters, The Duck-Billed Platypus, Cats, Boris Johnson, Muslims, AIDS, God, other assorted diseases, overweight people, lesbians, racists, Chinese people, pedophiles, dwarves, his own mother, people from Reading in the UK, and many other things. But if you do a search like I did, despite that long list of things that he joked about, you'll find that the backlash all seemed to be focused solely on his jokes related to trans people. I find that to be interesting, curious, really. But before I ramble on even longer, let's meet our guests. I'm now joined by three esteemed members of Satanic Delco. Maybe you can all introduce yourself, and along with your introduction, give us just a brief summary of how you currently feel about Ricky Gervais's comedy and the whole reaction to it. Go ahead, Audra. Hi, I'm Audra. Um, I'm a 41-year-old trans woman living in Washington and obviously a Satanist. My general vibe on Ricky Gervais and kind of like my reaction to this topic is that I don't think he should be canceled or anything like that. I'm not telling people they shouldn't listen to him, but I do think he's an asshole. And I think some of these jokes are pointed directly at trans people in a somewhat harmful way. Hello, my name's Amy. I'm a 38-year-old trans woman uh, from a place called the Isle of Man inside the UK. And I found that Supernature delves quite deep into what I would consider controversial territory. Gervais echoes a lot of turf ideology and much like his previous special humanity, specifically targets trans individuals. I think that Gervais relies on lazy comedy, repeatedly making trans jokes and engaging in racially insensitive sketches and propagation of unsupported opinions and divisive beliefs. And despite his claims afterwards of not disrespecting real trans people, he goes on to perpetuate harmful stereotypes and unfounded accusations. The show, for me, 
was awful, really. It contained transphobia, racism, anti-Chinese sentiment and more, and potentially reflects the harm of anti-woke ideology. But I do agree that I don't think he should be cancelled for it. And I agree that I think he's an asshole. Hi, my name is Quinn. I'm 26-year-old trans man, uh, also from Washington. So same area as Audra. Um, my viewpoint on Ricky Gervais, I I really enjoy his comedy. There is some things like uh, we did David Brent on the UK office. Like the first, I couldn't get through that, but everything he's done since I've listened to him on a few podcasts and I've watched, uh, I watched Supernature. Um, I'm working my way through Armageddon. I was watching it this morning, got halfway through. Uh, I like his stuff. I definitely can see how uh, certain things can be like viewed and taken the wrong way, especially as like transphobic and racist and stuff. But I enjoy his content because I know it's kind of like Colbert, where it's like a character he puts on and he's more abrasive in a stand up. It's not like actually who he is, but I, I do enjoy his content. Right on. Well, first of all, welcome, all three of you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. We'll probably cover a lot of ground here, but by the time we get to the end, I hope to have us tackle at least three basic questions. Number one will be, what is transphobia? I think it's important to be on the same page about what that means, because it's a thing that gets discussed. And number two is, is Ricky Gervais transphobic? And number three will be, regardless of being transphobic or not, should Ricky Gervais or anyone else be allowed to say what he said and earn a living while saying it? And we've touched on that a bit, but we'll get there. Let's start with finding a commonly agreed upon definition of transphobia. This should be pretty easy, but I think it's important to do. A phobia is an uncontrollable, irrational, and persistent fear of a specific thing. Based on that, transphobia means to be fearful of transgender people, but a more common understanding of it might be something like a dislike of or a strong prejudice against transgender people. Does that feel like the most accurate definition as we all understand it? I would say yes. I would agree that transphobic, I guess in my view, I also see it as people who are actively going against trans rights and are actively mm -hmm. trying to like slander the trans community, not so much being like afraid of them, but working against us. Sure. And Amy, that all sounds about right for you. Yeah, I'd agree with that definition. Okay. So at the heart of our discussion is the controversy or debate over that super nature special from 2022. I've pulled several clips from that special for us to look at today including just about all of his discussion of transgender people, along with a few other small bits. And I'd like to just get everyone's reactions to those as we go. The first one is right at the very beginning of the special, where Gervais explains exactly what he's doing in the special and what he will be doing throughout the set. So let me cue this one up and we'll give it a listen. What about all the funny female comedians? Like, um... No, 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 right. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. Okay, right. That was irony, okay? There's going to be a bit of that throughout the show. See if you can spot it, okay? Now, that's when I say something I don't really mean for comic effect, 
and you as an audience, you laugh at the wrong thing because you know what the right thing is. It's a way of satirising attitudes. Like that first joke, I use the old-fashioned sexist trope that women aren't funny. Now, in real life, I know there are loads of funny women. Like, um... <laughs> I did it again. Well spotted. Good. <laughs> no, but there are. All right. He explains his use of irony and explains its context in satirizing attitudes. Do you all have any initial feeling about this? Uh, does it do anything at all to shape your opinion of what he's doing in this special? Audra. Um, yeah, so I do get that he's trying to point out that throughout this, I might say some things that don't sound, you know, that aren't exactly my viewpoint. I'm saying them for comedy. That is well understood. And I think that most people who listen to comedy understand that as the premise of it. However, I think there's a fine line there because you can't just say I'm joking and then say whatever horrible shit you want and not expect people, some people to take you seriously. Sure. Um, I think that a lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that in the case of this special, he hammered so hard on these topics and parroted a lot of like right wing anti-trans talking points so well that it's hard to believe that it's not at least part of his ideology. And Quinn? Um, I would say my initial reaction with this one, I'll be honest, it definitely got me to laugh because um, I guess more of because I've listened to a few podcasts and interviews with Ricky Gervais and you get to know like this isn't his, this isn't what he actually thinks. Um, he's very... He does know tons of funny women and it's kind of like the irony in the point where he's like, oh, I can't think of you right now. But clearly, like if he actually you know, sat him down, and we're like, OK, give me some female comedians. He totally would list them off. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's more of like knowing the person and like separating it from their stand up, I guess. Sure. And so like I know like I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not what he actually thinks, but it's just like the timing and setup of it. I was like, oh, my, it's like when your friend says something that you know is wrong, but you're like, oh my God, you laugh. And you're like, dude, shut up. I know it's wrong, but that's right. funny. Go ahead, Amy. I think that satire and irony can be powerful tools. Um, and I understand where he's coming from in the sense of using language that would signify the opposite. Um, and I do understand that comedy has a long history of addressing sensitive topics and can serve to mirror society, highlighting absurdities and contradictions. But I feel at the same time that you have to be careful to not perpetuate harmful narratives. In this particular instance, I don't think he is. I think he's um, what basically what Quinn has said, that he's basically saying that, you know, this is a thing, but in truth, I actually know... Um, I actually do know many quite funny female comedians. I think it's important to strike a balance between artistic expression, irony, and social responsibility. So I, I do agree with that um, if we just isolate the clip where it was. But if you continue on beyond that little bit, the very next joke he goes on to make is that the funny woman that he knows is Eddie Izzard implies by the punchline that Eddie Izzard is not a woman as Eddie Izzard identifies and negating the fact that he actually knew any funny women. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, it might be kind of a wash on that, but I, I think that taking that clip a little bit further reveals a, a more of um, a subversive, like trans transphobic attitude 
or at least in the punchline. Yeah, as you say, immediately following that first clip is our next one in the context of talking about I don't know any funny women, uh, but I really do. He mentions Eddie Izzard and here's what he had to say. Eddie Izzard. She's brilliant, isn't she? She's not only a great comedian, she's, she's also a great actress, isn't she? She was brilliant in that thing as that man. <laughs> Any direct thoughts about that one? Yeah, with this one, I also kind of found it funny because I feel like he was making a joke at like the acting part where he was like, yeah, she acted like a man. And because like knowing she was... With trans people, it's kind of those things where, at least with my experience, you kind of know you're trans early on, but it's not until later where you, for me, like I realized it, uh, like it snapped and I was like, oh my God. And looking back on my life, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many points where I was like, how did I not know I was trans then? And so I thought of it more as like a, like a, I love when she acted as a man and because we knew it wasn't who she was, I guess. I don't know if that was really the intention though of that joke. I don't even want to put myself in a position of tr- attempting to explain someone else's humor, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dare do that. But yeah, there, the one thing that came to mind, Quinn, when you were just saying that is there's quite a bit of diversity within the way that individuals do their life, you know, and in the case of some trans people in, in the way that they do their transition and the way that they handle it and the way that they refer to things. And the one that comes to mind, I, I remember I watched a documentary. I believe it was a whole documentary, maybe focused on Caitlyn Jenner. And there was discussion about referring to someone's pre-transition life. And in this case, they were talking to Caitlyn Jenner about her pre-transition accomplishments as an athlete, an Olympian, gold medalist, all that stuff. And what I've heard a lot, just in my casual existing on the internet, is that many trans people retroactively apply their transition. So if you're a man and then transition and you identify as a woman, when you look back, you still sort of see or refer to yourself as a woman. And that varies from individual to individual. But in the case of Caitlyn Jenner, she said, oh, no, that was Bruce that did all that. Bruce won the Olympics. Bruce is the Olympian. You know, that's who I was at the time. And Bruce made those accomplishments. And it was interesting to hear that because I think at the point that I watched it, most of what I had heard was sort of contradictory to that. So it just sort of shined a bit of a light on the fact that there is quite a bit of diversity in the way that everybody handles their everything, of course. Go ahead, Quinn. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, I've definitely heard similar things from other trans people. For me personally, and I guess a lot of my friends, usually when we're referring to ourselves pre-transition, um, like, for example, I transitioned female to male. And so I'll still say like, oh, when I was a boy, when I was a little kid, um, but sometimes I will say when I identified as a woman, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I didn't identify as a man my whole life. And there were definitely times where I was extremely more feminine. I still like to be feminine, but uh, I'll definitely say like, oh, when I was a girl or when I identified as a woman, this is how I did things. Right. Go ahead, Audra. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to kind of chime in on like what me personally, um, if I refer to myself in the past, it's usually like when I you know was still thinking I was a boy or when I was a kid, things like that. Um, I'd also like to just go on record and say that um, I don't think that Caitlyn Jenner is the best representative of trans people uh, to be necessarily like pulling information from. I mean, as a multimillionaire who has done some pretty shifty things. So sure. if you're looking for, you know, examples, I, I would suggest maybe looking in other places just because I, I don't think uh, they're, she's a great person. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that this is the second time, Audrey, you have foreshadowed what we will be discussing. <laughs> we're we're going to touch on some of that stuff. Definitely. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's good that you brought that up. Next up, Gervais does touch on the topic of being offended. And I should just mention that I think listeners of the podcast do lose a little bit of something without the visual. We're here watching these clips, but I think everyone should still get the gist of the idea. Here is a clip that focuses on trans people as well as the subjectivity of comedy. Let's listen. Oh, women. I mean the old-fashioned ones, you know, the old-fashioned women. Oh, God, you know, the ones with wombs. Oh. <laughs> Those fucking dinosaurs. <laughs> no, I love the, the new women. I know the new women. They're great, aren't they? The, you know, the new ones we've been seeing lately. The, the ones with beards and cocks. They're as good as... They're as good as gold. I love them. No, it's the old-fashioned. And now the old-fashioned, they're like, oh, they want to use our toilets. Why shouldn't they use your toilets? For ladies. They are ladies. Look at their pronouns. <laughs> what about this person that isn't a lady? Well, his penis. <laughs> Her penis, you fucking bigot. <laughs> what if he rapes me? What if she rapes you? <laughs> you fucking turf whore. <laughs> but that tweet sums comedy up, doesn't it? How subjective it is. How one person, some people can find them hilarious, some people find them the, the least funny person in the world. And when someone says to me about another comedian, they say, oh, they're not funny. Even if I agree with them, I stand up, I say, well, you can't say that. You've got to say, you don't find them funny, you know. And I hate it when people say, that joke was offensive. I've got to say, no, you've got to say, you found it offensive. Because it's all about feelings, and feelings are personal. And there's loads of types of comedy, and comedy evolves, you know. All right. Do we have any feelings about this one? Is it offensive? How do we feel about it? Um, I found this... One, I mean, at first, uh, you know, it was a little weird, had a rocky start, but I think it's in this special where this one ties into a bit later as well, um, where people are talking, Ricky is talking about how people are like, you can't joke about trans things. He's like, no, I believe in trans and equal rights. He's like, that's why I include him in the bits. Right. Um, yeah. We're definitely going to get to that one too. Yeah. yeah um, but this one, I kind of found it as like, bad things about trans people because there's still trans people that are bad and that are going to do bad things. So it's like, yeah, a trans person still could do a bad thing like rape, but, um, you know, use their right pronouns and treat them with respect at least. Yeah. And see, I kind of had an opposite take on that joke. I don't think that it was him saying like, oh yeah, you know, anybody can do bad things. 
so we should treat them with respect. I think it was more pointed at making fun of people who are insisting on having the proper pronouns used. Um, and I think that that speaks to an insensitivity or maybe just plain ignorance to how emotionally damaging that can be to certain people. Now, I'm not saying that every person is going to be offended by that. And offense is not what I'm concerned about here. It's more the harm that can be done. Um, trans people on the whole do suffer from very high suicide rates, high depression rates, especially trans people of color. And um, to really single everybody out like that, especially when the premise of a joke is you will be raped in a bathroom by a trans person or can be raped in a bathroom by a trans person. Um, I, I think that it really parrots some things that are harmful to the community. And whether or not these are his personal beliefs, um, he's still saying them. I mean, it's like if you have a politician who uh, speaks out against gay rights, but then privately is gay and has lovers. Well, what he's doing in private, his private life doesn't really matter. What's making the change, what's making, you know, getting laws passed is what he's saying in public. So what you say in public on a large platform can harm people. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't be saying these things. I'm saying that I don't like them. And I think that they are harming people in the long run. Sure. Go ahead, Amy. Free speech and comedy does allow artists to do this and to challenge norms and provoke thoughts. But I think that when comedy does perpetuate these harmful stereotypes, especially touching on things such as you know, trans women in bathrooms and rape and that kind of thing, very real things, very real accusations that trans people face every single day. Um, I think it contributes not only towards discrimination and causes harm to marginalized communities, but also contributes towards the hostile environment that we face every single day. Like this, to me, this type of thing, I don't think it shouldn't be said per se, because I don't think that there should be necessarily a limitation on comedy. But I do think that it runs the risk of normalizing discriminatory views, especially ones against the trans community, with all of the hate and the bigotry and the negativity that they face on a daily basis. Yeah, I think we started to touch on it a bit just now. But my next question was about Basically, is it possible that the strong negative feelings that some people have about this, is it really just the feeling of being personally offended because someone has poked fun at their specific thing, or is it something bigger than that? And Audra and Amy, maybe you guys have alluded to the fact that it could be something bigger than that. Do you suspect that? Comedy specials or comedians or, you know, media of any kind like this contribute to a sort of real world tangible effect that is negatively impacting trans people? I do think it's definitely possible. I think that you have all kinds of people listening and watching, listening to and watching comedy. You have people like Quinn, who is very clearly intelligent, is able to dissect the jokes, really think about the meaning. And then you have really stupid people who take them at their face value and you have everyone in between. But I do think that in our current modern climate, like as far as the social climate goes, most people are inclined to just hear what they hear, not give it a second thought, you know, click, listen, laugh, and then let that thought sit in their head. And whether or not they mean to or whether or not they realize it, it can actually normalize some really hurtful thoughts. And speaking as a person who's been a victim of anti-trans violence 
Um, I know for a fact that that doesn't come out of nowhere. People aren't born with those ideas. And I'm not saying that comedy is responsible for it, but I'm saying that anybody on a public platform should be aware that some things they say can be harmful. So for me personally, I think it's a case of exhaustion. I face this kind of thing on a daily basis from a family member, from people in the street, from people online. And it's just this repetitive thing that just keeps happening and keeps coming. There are more and more celebrities and more and more comedians that are that are seemingly going for those cheap laughs by just punching down on trans people. Having said that, I don't think I would have much of a problem as I do, especially with Gervais, if he also represented the opposing side of the argument. You know, for instance, commenting on the ridiculousness of turf ideology and as an example, their neurotic obsession with the idea of finding rogue penises in the women's bathrooms, for example. Like that in and of itself to me is a whole comedy sketch that could highlight the absurdity of the hate against trans people. But we don't ever hear that from these comedians. All we ever hear is, like the Eddie Izzard joke, for example, is what essentially boils down to, look, it's Eddie Izzard, Eddie Izzard is trans, everybody laugh at Eddie Izzard. Is it really funny? Is it really a joke? Or is it essentially just pointing out a bad stereotype and saying, everybody look at the bad stereotype, the bad stereotype is funny? Yeah, I mean, that's valid for sure. And I wonder, is there a chance that if we understand Gervais to be using satire, when he's acting out the role or reciting the lines of this potentially transphobic person or an ignorant person or whoever it might be, by saying those lines or or taking the position of that person, is that potentially the joke is mocking that person? So in answer to that question, um, I do think that there are ways that jokes can be crafted where absolutely that would make sense. And I think that that does kind of feed off of, you know, what was just being said there. Um, But I think in this case, it's he doesn't do if that's his intention, he doesn't do a very good job of representing it. Now, that being said, um, I do understand that intentions do matter to a point, but intentions also never negate the damage done. Sure. And, and there are uh, ways to make good jokes about trans people. You know, like my favorite comedian, Kyle Kinane, has a great, like, older joke. He's talking about trans people. And he's like, hey, you know, I get it. We're all just like souls and bodies working through this world. And if you've got to use aftermarket parts to be happy, then go ahead and use them. Yes. Or, you know, more recently, Sam Morell had a great bit or a couple of great bits in a new stand-up that's on Netflix. And you can include people in the jokes. I'm not saying don't joke about trans people. It's much in the same way you wouldn't say don't joke about black people or Asian people or anybody. You can make jokes about race and about the climate around race and the funny things that happen when different cultures collide without being racist. Much in the same way, you can make jokes about trans folks without being shitty to trans people. Right. Okay. So this might veer slightly from our topic, but it is connected. While I was reading all of this Ricky Gervais stuff and the reactions to this special, I came across a tweet from a trans woman named Blair White, who hosts a podcast and she has a popular YouTube channel. She posted a tweet that said, Ricky Gervais has been supportive of me, a trans woman, for years. He is not transphobic. He is bullshit phobic. 
And the overall topic that this brought to mind for me is the role or importance of a majority within any group. One example would be that most trans people seemingly agree with liberal values and vote for Democrats, but not all trans people. Another example would be that most Americans believe that God is real and we should live in line with the word of God, but not all Americans. So to my question, people like Blair White, Caitlyn Jenner, and Buck Angel, these are all trans people that disagree with what seems to be the majority of trans people on certain issues. However, they are trans people. They face the same discrimination and potentially difficult parts of being a trans person as any other trans person. When a member of a community based on one thing disagrees with the majority of that community on other things, are they any less welcome to be part of or representative of that community? I think just because someone is, you know, I also face this kind of in my own life where I'll meet another LGBT person or trans person specifically, and immediately they'll find out that I'm trans or LGBT and they'll be like, oh my God, we're going to get along so well because we're both like gay and stuff. And I'm like, no, though, because I feel like I'm going to ask you to go like hunting and fishing and like help me build something with tools and stuff. And you're like, oh my God, what? No, this is not what I thought you would be like, especially because I'm also very femme presenting too. Um, So I don't think just because you're different in one aspect, that makes you like less of a member of a community. Um, If anything, I think it broadens the horizons and diversity of that group. And I think it shows more size of it because there is, I guess, the stereotype that like all LGBT people or trans people are left leaning or have like these same ideologies. But I think... Like I said, it broadens the horizons and it shows more parts of the community. It kind of shows that we are more than just what we're labeled. We're people too, just like everyone else. We're completely different and have diverse backgrounds and stories and complex problems, just like the next guy. Yeah. Or yeah. Don't. Just like, you know, we obviously know that if you're a Satanist, you must love Twin Temple, obviously. You know? Oh, yeah. And Black <laughs> Sabbath. Right. Yes. Aldra, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I, I do agree with Quinn that like ideally that is how things should be. Um, my experience has been pretty different. Um, much like Quinn, I do not fit the stereotypical uh, transgender mold. You know, like I'm a huge Second Amendment proponent. I love to go shoot. I think that we should meet and talk to all of our neighbors, regardless of like, you know, if they're conservative or whatever. I think people need to mix, get together, get to know each other and be cool with being different. That opinion has led to be being uh, banned from a couple of subreddits Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and actually in real life, you know, trans groups, I've, you know, I've been asked to not come back because of things like that. And people forget that with any group of people, we're all still people. So if there are, there's a group of trans people, there's going to be shitty people there too, you know, just like everywhere else. And uh, I do think that everyone should be welcome but I do think that right now, at least the majority of trans people that we are seeing speaking up and being loud about certain things are a little more on the extreme left side. And I think that overall, that is kind of damaging to the community. And I, and I agree with Quinn, like 
we're all different. We should all be different and we should all be okay with being different. Yeah. And earlier, Audra, you mentioned, I think when I mentioned Caitlyn Jenner, you were saying, you know, Caitlyn mm-hmm. Jenner is maybe not the best representative. Maybe you can expand on your feelings that you touched on earlier, where some of these folks like Caitlyn Jenner, Blair White, and others, they may or may not be perceived as a good representative of trans people. Yeah. And I, I think the reason that I say that is not as much about their views as about their resources and the lives they're able to lead. Mm. Somebody who's a multimillionaire is not going to have a problem transitioning. They're not going to have to fight for healthcare. They're not going to have to go through things like having to see two different psychiatrists over and over and over again, just to get letters to get, uh, you know, to wait for an appointment to have a consult for a surgery, which is something that I'm having to go through in Washington state, which is a pretty liberal state. There are struggles that everyday trans people go through, and especially, you know, people who are below the poverty line. And then if you, you want to make, magnify it to even worse situations, people who are, you know, people of color, they are shit on even more. So I think that the majority of the trans community, you know, is either at or below the poverty line, doesn't have access to resources. These people didn't have to really fight to be who they are. Um, they weren't necessarily given it, but Given the resources they had, they had an easier time than everyone else. So their opinion isn't going to be representative of what I think is an overall view of you know the transgender experience as far as struggle. I would agree with that as well. Um, you know, a lot of trans celebrities, uh, for example, I think Elliot Page, he came out. Oh yeah. I want to. It was a few years ago. It, I'm not sure exactly, but I want to say maybe it was like three or four years ago, and he wrote a book. And I saw it recently, I think at the library and I was like, he, you know, he totally transitioned again. It's only been maybe three or four years, but he looks like a totally different dude. He's got top surgery. He's definitely been on T for a while. And, but it's also, you know, he's got kind of like what Audra said, like they've got the resources and they've got access to everything that a lot of people will have to wait literally years for. And so I think a lot of people will see trans celebrities and they'll be like, oh, well, it's really not that bad. I'm like, yeah, but they're also surrounded by a very extremely supporting community besides the press, of course, you know, there's always going to be people in the press that still misgender them on purpose, but you know, they're surrounded by a bunch of people that probably don't misgender them every day and they can transition really fast and they have a lot of respect for um, that person as well. And a lot, uh, another thing with celebrities being, what is it like representation for certain communities? I know, for example, Little Nas X has become extremely popular and everyone loves him. Uh, you know, he is a gay man. He might be bi, but he's very leaning towards men. Um, and I, I like him, but some of his stuff is just like, it's kind of gaudy and tacky and just like <laughs> over the top, like gay. And I'm like, yeah. You do it, man. But then everyone's like, oh, you're like this guy. And I was like, no, dude, like, where are the gay satanic punk rock bitches at? I was like, where are those guys at? I was like, right over here. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I know people will be like, oh, you must like, they're like, oh, you're gay and trans. Like, you must love like so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, actually, I can't stand those guys. Yeah. That idea that a community a, a group of any kind like that based on one trait, like the gay community, the satanic community. The line is always, yeah, I wanted to find like-minded people. Well, good fucking luck. 
That's, you've described one thing about me. I'm a straight man. So what kind of music must a straight man like? Well, it's fucking pretty diverse, honestly. You know, like there's no. It's not just Creed. Yeah, there's lots of, you know, there's no (laughs) rules to any of this shit. And uh, trans people are no different and Satanists are no different. But I guess one thing that is fairly consistent is that people with a lot of money are going to have a generally smoother ride whatever their path is, we can count on that being a thing. I am I am of the opinion that you are a secret fan of the Spice Girls. You know, I'm not I'm not against the Spice Girls, but I certainly wouldn't count myself as much of a fan. But I'm, I remain open. In keeping with the order of the special, he made a small comment about 10-year-old tweets. Let's take a listen to that one. You can't predict what will be offensive in the future. You don't know who the dominant mob will be. You know, like, the worst thing you can say today, get you cancelled on Twitter, death threats, whatever. the worst thing you can say today is, women don't have penises, right? <laughs> now, no-one saw that coming. <laughs> there are no 10-year-old tweets of people saying... There are, you won't find a 10-year-old tweet of someone saying, women don't have penises. <laughs> Do you know why? We didn't think we fucking had to. Do we have any feelings about that one? Is it just silliness or what's there? Like, I, I agree uh, with this point to the fact that, um, you know, with like memories on Facebook and stuff, you'll see things you said 10 years ago and you're like, oh, my God, mm. I should never have said that. Like, I know I've definitely made um some jokes that i should never have online and you know they come up 10 years later and i was like i did not know at the time that that was bad and it is just like you can't predict how things are going to change um and he also mentioned it with the word queer like saying queer probably you know 20 30 years ago it was extremely derogatory but now you could say it again like when you're describing a friend like oh i have a queer friend or um i'm queer so i guess it's just kind of like you don't know what you're going to have to say or protect yourself from, I guess. Yeah. And, and like society always changes. Like you could say something now that is totally fine, but we don't know what it's going to be like in 10 years. So in 10 years, society could have totally shifted 180 degrees. And then someone's going to pull that out and be like, hey, you said this. I was like, yeah, that was 10 years ago. This is that's not even who I am anymore. Yeah, I actually totally have no problem with this bit. I think that it's great. It points out that, you know, a lot of people do get dragged through the mud over things they said when they were a different person. And and I agree 100 percent that, yeah, 10 years ago, if somebody said women do not have penises, no one would bat an eye at that. That's that's actual. Like, yeah, I think it's a funny bit. I think this is, is an, an example of a well-crafted joke about trans people. Yeah, I don't have any problem with this bit either because I I don't think that people should be persecuted for things that they said 10 years ago. For instance, when I was in school, which was in the late 80s to the late 90s, there were all kinds of jokes that were made at the time. Things were gay. There was jokes that would probably now be considered as quite racially charged. There was an over-excessive use of the word faggot and, you know, various different things like that. And I think it's, I, I think what's important isn't what somebody did 10 years ago. I think it's important what they do now. Like if somebody was to be able to go back through my timeline, as in my physical timeline of my life, And even going back 15 years ago, they probably find me making some jokes that are quite questionable. And it's not that 
I was a homophobic or racist person of any description. I never, ever had an issue with anything like that. It was just, I guess, the culture, even though maybe a little bit ignorant at the time, um, that was prevalent in my part of society. So I don't think people should be persecuted for things they said. I do think it's ridiculous when they pull up a 15-year-old tweet or something where somebody has said something that's questionable. I do think that you have to take it into context with the things that they're saying now and the things that they're doing now. If we're 15 years later and that person is still saying things that could be seen as racist, that could be seen as sexist, that could be seen as homophobic, at that point, yes, by all means, take issue. But if that person isn't doing that and seems to have moved on from that particular point in history, then I don't think that they should be judged for it. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Let's talk about the concept of punching up and punching down. My understanding is that punching up in comedy refers to joking about people or groups that are perceived to be more powerful or privileged in society than the comedian. And punching down is, of course, the opposite, joking about people or groups that are perceived to be less powerful or privileged in society. Does that sound about right? That's how we understand punching up and down? More or less, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a clip where Ricky Gervais talks about that subject specifically, so we'll check that one out. But now there's so much outrage, and we hear about it, and it's taken seriously, you know? There's Oxbridge comedians writing for the posh papers, thinking of the rules of comedy. They're laying it down, laying down the law, right? And it's all stuff like, um, comedy should punch up. You should never punch down. You should never punch down. Sometimes you've got to punch down, like if you're beating up a disabled toddler. <laughs> you'll miss the little cunt and they'll win, you know. I like that joke because it highlights the difference between metaphorical punching down in jokes and actual punching down. But people nowadays want you to believe that words are actual violence, right? Now, you laughed at a joke about beating up a disabled toddler. No one got hurt. If I'd have actually dragged out a disabled toddler and started beating him up, you would laugh, right? That's why I dropped that bit. Um, But these people are virtue signaling. They're trying to bring people down to raise their own status. And they say it's because, no, we're protecting minorities. Like, they're basically saying minorities haven't got a sense of humour, which is so patronising. And I get that as well, uh, to what it's like to be outnumbered. In this country, we're still only 5% black, 5% Asian, 5% LGBTQ, you know, tiny numbers. Now, I'm a white, heterosexual multimillionaire, right? <laughs> There's less than 1% of us. (laughs) Do I whine? No. I I don't mind. Just get on with it. Come on, Rick. Come on, Rick. Just keep fighting. I'm like Rosa Parks. Do you know what I mean? I'm like... Except I fought for the right to never have to take a seat on a bus. So I guess my question here is, how do we feel about that clip, but also about the concept of punching up or down in the context of comedy or wherever else? Punching up, I would see as like, you know, if you are kind of playfully attacking a group that maybe has more power socially that, you know, 
is more stable um, or, you know, kind of like hitting on your own level. And I think that when you're punching down, it's when not when you're necessarily talking about a group that is smaller or um, has less influence or less power. But when you're doing so in a way that's hurtful, like in his earlier jokes, the trans people are the bad guy. The trans woman in the bathroom is a rapist. The trans woman with a beard is the ugly person. And that's what supposedly makes those jokes funny. That's what that punchline is. Now, as far as this actual bit goes, I actually like most of the bit, except for the fact that he, he mentions punching up and punching down, but never actually really gets to the, the real topic. Um, he does a very well-crafted and, and pretty funny sidestep when he starts talking about hitting the little disabled kid. Yeah. But he never actually talks about the concept of punching up and punching down. So, I mean, like the bit itself, I don't really have a problem with, but I do think that as an example of punching up and punching down, you know, making someone the villain in the joke um, when they're clearly not, that is what I would consider an example of punching down. Gotcha. And do we have any feelings about, I don't know if rule is exactly the word we're looking for, but should there be any rules that say a comedian should only be punching up generally, you know, if insert whoever is going to get up on stage and do a special, is it wrong of them to be punching at groups or individuals who occupy a lower, I don't know, level of perceived power in society? Or is it just sort of more dependent on the individual humor? I don't think that there should be a rule at all. Uh, I think free speech is free speech. And I think as far as right and wrong goes, that's a moving target, even within an individual. Like one day your view of what's right and what's wrong could be totally different from the next. So I think that's a personal choice to make. Uh, For my tastes, I prefer more punching up than down, especially when it's so brutal, like in this special. Uh, And I get that people do think it's funny because it's so over the top. And I do admit that it is over the top, but there are a lot of people who maybe just aren't in the headspace to see it for, for maybe what it really is. But I don't think there should be a rule. And I think people should make up their own minds about whether or not they like punching up and punching down. I think with this one, I would agree with what Audra said. You know, there is free speech. You can't tell people like, hey, you can't do that because, you know, they're going to especially with saying things like you can't say that. But I do think there could be maybe maybe like an unspoken rule or a guideline when it is with comedy. You can still punch down all as you want. It's your special, but, you know, you might not get as many laughs. It is going to be riskier the more you do punch down. Um, But with comedy, I think you can still say things that, you know, you and other people find funny. But depending on what you say and how you say it, the range of people that you're going to that are going to find that funny are definitely going to vary as well. Definitely. Yeah. With any comedy that takes any level of risk, right? If you're going to say anything remotely risky (laughs) to, you know, that, that it could offend any group of people out there, you're taking a risk with your level of visibility or success. And it can go either way. You could be offensive and that could make you successful in a way. Or you could be offensive and turn everybody right the fuck off and you're going to doom yourself. Um, and we've probably seen both examples of that over the years. Amy, did you want to jump in on this one? Yeah. So I don't think that there should be any restrictions. Comedy should be allowed to challenge norms and push boundaries and engage in social commentary. 
But I do think that there has to be a certain sense of nuance in the jokes you're making. Otherwise, you're punching down for punching down's sake. I don't fully agree with the idea that words are not physical violence. I mean, words themselves are not physical violence per se, but words can perpetuate physical violence, which is something that we're seeing in the world today. I definitely don't think that anybody should be trying to take away any comedian's sense of freedom of speech. And I do think that if a comedian feels the need to get up on a stage and be offensive, then that comedian should be allowed to get on a stage and be offensive. But as I said a minute ago, I do think there does have to be a sense of nuance and kind of appreciation in a way of the culture that you're punching down on because otherwise I just feel like you're punching down for punching down's sake and attacking a group of people that are struggling at the best of times to defend themselves. Sure. Yeah. And I think no matter who it is or whatever the context, I would think that a subjectively well-crafted joke or whatever the medium is is probably more effective than something that is just inflammatory and insulting in some way, you know? I guess it's better to be good at your job, but good is subjective. Go ahead, Quinn. To piggyback off of what Amy was saying, um, talking about like how words, you know, they're not violence, like physical violence. Um, but there are definitely times when people can enable each other. For example, uh, you know, when Ugly Cheeto became president, um how much like how much violence and like hate crimes just skyrocketed because they're like well we got him as president they're like and you know the things he was saying again you know he wasn't going out like actually burning churches but because of the things that he said he was making other people think it's okay so if you are in a position of power or you're in the public eye the things that you do say is going to have effect on other people and that's something you should take with levity Yeah, I agree with that, because here in the UK, for example, we have the likes of J.K. Rowling, we have the UK government, we have Joanna Cherry and various other what we would call, you know, like right wing anti-trans speakers. And since they have been pumping out all of the rhetoric on Twitter and since the UK government has been talking about trying to introduce laws that ban students from transitioning in schools, forcing teachers to out their students to uh, to their parents and trying to bring in laws that stop trans people using the bathrooms that they identify with, there has been a a marked increase in physical violence towards not just trans people, but LGBT people and people of colour as a whole. And it's something that is reportedly increasing each and every year. So it's like I said, even though words themselves aren't inherently physically violent things, they do empower and enable people and give them that feeling that they can engage in physical violence towards minority groups. I did just want to kind of stand up a little bit for Ricky Gervais and say that even though I agree, I agree that words can lead to violence. I don't think that words are violence. I do not for a second think that his intent is to create harm. Right. But I I do think it can happen, but I don't think that that is the intent behind this. I think If anything, he's just, you know, maybe not thinking things through all the way or maybe, you know, just not caring about the little bit of harm that could be done. But I I do not think that this is intentional harm being done by him. Sure. 
I also want to agree with that. Like, I don't think he's trying to provoke any harm towards trans people. Uh, and again, like, I really, I enjoyed this special, even, you know, being trans as well. But I definitely can see how certain people can take it offensively. And I, but I also think it has to do with, um, you know, I think we touched about it when we were talking about the Satanic Bible. When you start reading a book, especially like that one, a lot of what you get out of it is how you approach the book. So if you're going in reading the Satanic Bible and you want to point out all the crazy shit that Anton says, you can definitely find that. But if you're going in for a different um, thing to get out of it, yeah. you can find that as well. Well, and, you know, that's that's a good sort of comparison there using the Satanic Bible, because when I discovered the Satanic Bible, I was a depressed, angry, lonely teenager you know, I was edgy, I was dark, you know, I was looking for something, and that book was screaming to me from the bookshelf, please come get me. And I'm a dramatically different person today than I was way back then. And so the place that a person finds themselves in their own life probably has a lot to do with what they take from the messages that get to them from a book, a comedy special, a, a song, whatever it might be. If that person hears that same thing for the first time 40 years later, it might be drastically different, of course. And the other thing I wanted to touch on related to the punching up and punching down, I've been down the rabbit hole of these discussions, uh, especially as they relate to comedy and things like that. And the punching up and down one is interesting. I think it was brought to my attention while I was watching a special from Dave Chappelle. He's done a bunch of them in recent years, and I don't remember which one it was, but he has also spent time talking about trans people and catching a lot of backlash because of that for various different specials and things that he's done. But the thing that he brought up was a sort of comparison between different groups and how you define who is punching up or down at who. So we're talking about a rich white man, Ricky Gervais, punching down potentially at trans people. What is the difference or is there a difference at all when it's a black man? And do we then have to put ourselves in a position to measure who is higher on the social strata to be privileged enough to punch down at someone else? Is it black people? Is it trans people? Does it all come down to how much money they have or what? Um, so this one, I definitely think it's I think it's more situational. So, for example, Ricky Gervais and Dave Chappelle both making um, what could be seen as transphobic jokes. Uh, personally, watching someone like Ricky Gervais, where I've seen a lot of like, you know, interviews and stuff that he's done and knowing that this isn't what he actually thinks. And I think later on, it's either in this special or another one. I think it's in Supernature where he is like, no, trans rights are human rights and says things like that. I'm like, okay, he doesn't like actually think this way, but I don't know Chappelle very well. And so if I were to sit down and watch his special and I'd be like, uh, does it actually mean this? Cause I just don't know the kind of person he is off screen. Right. I don't think it matters I think if someone is white versus a person of color, um, um, the likelihood that they mean it as a person of color is drastically uh, less because, you know, they are also a minority. So they know some of the struggles that minorities go through. But just because they're a minority um, doesn't mean that they're not actually transphobic too. like how you see. 
um, I, I saw bumper stickers where it's like trans women for Trump. And I was like, what? I was like, do you know what he stands for and stuff? Um, and there's also with making jokes about trans people or saying slurs. If someone like Chappelle or Gervais were to say it, I'm like, OK, you can't say that. I was like, that's not really your word. Kind of like other people saying the N word. But um, if one of like my trans friends I know, or like one of my LGBT friends will be in the middle of a Taco Bell and they'll call me a faggot. And I'm, I think that's funny. But I know other people also in the LGBT community do not like that word as well. So I think it's very situational. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree 100 percent with what Cohen was just saying that, you know, it really does depend on the situation. I don't think there's a hard and fast line. I think that, you know, a trans person making jokes that edge more towards transphobic would be more obviously ironic. And so in that sense, it wouldn't seem like punching down per se. Right. Um, and I also, uh, you know, I'm one of the few trans people that I know that I, I love Dave Chappelle's uh, trans jokes. He does use a couple of slurs, but I and, and that part is a little iffy for me, but I do like how he dissected, you know, how punching up and down depends on who you are and where you are. I love that. Um, I, I think a lot of people miss the the point of like his, you know, his special, the closer where he's talking about, he's talking about a very specific trans person and yes. telling jokes that he thinks that that person would have thought were, were hilarious. I didn't know her. I can't tell him that his friend wouldn't have thought those things were funny. And, and I do think that like, that's a good example of somebody who, is not trans, who is a rich person, who maybe was perceived as punching down, but I don't really think was. Yes. In the case of that one, I am more familiar with it. It's from his Sticks and Stones special, I think. It was a trans woman named Daphne Dorman. And when I dug around, there was a tweet from her that said, punching down requires you to consider yourself superior to another group. Dave Chappelle doesn't consider himself better than me in any way. He isn't punching up or punching down. He's punching lines. That's his job, and he's a master of his craft. So to me, it's clear what her thoughts were about Chappelle. And Daphne has since passed away. I found it after the fact. And it did add an emotional weight to it all. Uh, Okay, we're getting there. The next clip is important, maybe, because regardless of what we think about the underlying issues here, it does feel like there's some truth here, and we can talk about what I mean after the clip. Everything is a syndrome or an addiction or a preference, right? I could have my legs removed, have wheels put on, identify as a pram, right? (laughs) And if you sound mental, you're a bigot, right? Now... It's a bit hack, that joke, now, isn't it? Oh, identify as a thing, then. Right? It's a bit old-fashioned, right? But I'm going to leave it in to annoy people, right? <laughs> because that's the bit that'll offend people. Same as humanity. I talk about AIDS, famine, cancer, the Holocaust, rape, paedophilia. But no, the one thing you mustn't joke about is identity politics. The one thing you should never joke about is the trans issue, right? They just want to be treated equally. I agree. That's why I include them. But they know I'm 
joking about all the other stuff, but they go, no, no, I must, he must be, no, he must mean that, right? Like, like a joke is a window to the comedian's true soul. It's just, that's just not the case. Our, our take on any view to make the joke funniest, our pretend to be right-wing, our pretend to be left-wing, our pretend to be clever, our pretend to be stupid, whatever makes the joke funnier without prejudice. Okay, full disclosure, in real life, of course I support trans rights. I support all human rights, and trans rights are human rights, you know? Uh, live your best life. Use your preferred pronouns. Be the gender that you feel that you are. But meet me halfway, ladies. Lose the cock. That's all I'm saying. All right. So the thing I was referring to before the clip is that he talked about so many topics. At the beginning of this episode, I went through a list of the things, uh, a partial list of like 30 things that he talked about and joked about in this special. He made fun of just about every different thing out there. And all of the headlines, all of the backlash and hate and everything that came about, it was all about him talking about trans people. And so my first question is, why is that? Um, I think part of that is kind of like clickbait culture, how they know that's what's going to get the most attention on the internet. So they're like, we're going to take the most controversial thing. Because like you said, he jokes about 50 other things. He jokes about like Hitler and stuff like that. So if someone online media outlet were to take it and it's like Ricky Gervais jokes about Hitler <laughs> nobody's gonna click on that they're gonna be like okay I joke about Hitler too right. but the moment that they're like they take that little sentence and they're like Ricky Gervais transphobic everyone's gonna be all over it and I think it also has to do with the cancel culture craze as well it's just kind of drama fueling and he does point that out where he's like I'm making fun of 50 other things but this is the one that you know you're gonna pick and take and demonize me for. Yeah. So I think on like a public level, like why this is getting all the headlines, I totally agree with Quinn. I think it's that it bleeds, it leads bullshit and emotionally this bleeds. And we have like a huge army of cancel culture Karens out there. They just want to flip out about whatever the fuck they can. You know, it's a, it's for attention. It's also to sell papers. Um, I think on it, it's a little different on a personal level. So if you're looking at like an individual person, if he told jokes about 50 different things, if one of those things is a thing that is prevalent in your life, I think you're you're going to be a little more sensitive to that and you're definitely going to pay more attention to it. But as far as like headlines, yeah, it's it's just people trying to make money. It's trying to catch a quick emotional reaction um, very much in the opposite direction of critical thinking. And, and I think that's why there's such a backlash. Now, I don't think that that worldwide backlash is necessarily deserved. I don't like him as a comedian and I, and I don't really like the message he puts out, but I don't think that most of the people who are saying that Ricky Gervais is transphobic even mean it or have a real connection with the trans community. Right. Yeah. To me, that's probably pretty true. Go ahead, Amy. I wouldn't say that I think that Ricky Gervais and himself is transphobic because I've seen several interviews with him where he's actually been quite positive about trans people and trans rights. But I would like to put a slightly different spin sure. in that I think the focus, I think the reason why you see the focus so much on it being a trans thing is because the trans thing is the thing that is front and centre in the media with the government on Twitter, online, like everything is all about the trans thing. And I think trans people, there's there's a, there's generally an overlap 
um, between somebody being trans and a trans person being on the spectrum of autism. And trans people basically do make good targets for trolls because they are a lot easier to trigger. Trans people are more likely to flip out than take it on the chin. Their emotions are nearer the surface and it's usually easier um, for people to gauge a reaction from it. I haven't heard about a link between trans people and autism. I'd be really interested if you have um, like a link to anything that maybe has like some peer review stuff so I can look at that uh, because that is really interesting. But I do agree that a lot of trans people do tend to be triggered, for lack of a better word, with a lot of things. And I think that that is because, by and large, people who are trans uh, tend to be victimized a lot, um, often, unfortunately, sexually and violently. So that might lead to some of it. But again, I, I think that most of this is just people wanting to, like, look good in front of their friends and grab on, you know, be on the right side of history and get their Facebook points. Yeah. Also, with the whole cancel culture and especially with Ricky Gervais, my problem with it is that people will jump on certain celebrities such as Ricky Gervais, um, who his job is, you know, he just wants to make people laugh. He's not trying to, like, actually harm people um, and people want to cancel him so fast. But then when it comes to people who are actually you know, on the front lines committing murder or politicians that are actively working against not just like a few people, like they're working against their country and, you know, thousands, millions of people, they won't even bat an eye about that. They're like, well, that's fine. They can they can do that, like actively restrict what we have access to. But then when it comes to Ricky Gervais, like, oh, my God, he needs to he needs to be completely done. Um, So I don't. I don't know. I'm really not a fan of that cancel culture. I feel like if you're going to be putting in the effort for someone to destroy the life of someone, you should do it to someone who has actually done bad things. Right. Like make and, it count. You know? Yeah. dude. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't know. Like he's just trying, he's in the entertainment business. He's really just trying to make people laugh and give them a good time. He's not out here, you know, taking away abortion rights and shit like that. Yeah. And uh, with, people being sensitive as well i think again with the trans and lgbt community a lot of it as mentioned earlier does tend to be pretty left-leaning um to the extreme especially what we see on social media a lot of the things that we see on there they tend to be on the extreme side and so they'll be in my opinion extremely sensitive at times and they'll take that nitpick like that little bit and run with it yeah i think that's right and there probably is I wonder if the biggest deciding factor in it, the answer to my own question, like some of you have mentioned, is that's what will get the attention, right? That'll get the attention maybe from both sides. Trans people and left-leaning people generally will want to click it, you know, out of out of a defensiveness or a hate click, you know, that kind of thing. Like, what the fuck are these fuckers saying? And then people on the other side will get into it because, oh, you now you're blaming them for being transphobic or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it probably is just a hot button topic and they want to make that button real hot. So everybody wants to get on it. And that's probably a big piece of the answer. This one is obviously related a little indirectly, but Generally speaking, where do you guys all fall on the issue of free speech as we know it to be in the First Amendment? Do you feel that it's good as it is and we need to protect that? Or do you think that more limits should be put in place with 
punishments handed out for breaking those rules? Like the First Amendment, again, the wording is very old hat, and I think it could be written a little better. Um, but I'm I'm pretty against censorship. I don't like it. I think you should be able to say exactly what you want and how you feel. And again, it's not like anyone can physically stop you from saying something too. They can stop you from maybe printing it, but you know, I could say whatever I want right now, unless you physically close my mouth. Um, I do think with that, I think you should be able to talk and say what you'd like, even if it's online. But I do think that it would be good for repercussions for things like false news and statements, um, because that's the other side of the coin. Yes, you can share all this information, very be very proactive at things like that. But you can also share sources that are completely fake, fraudulent, and you're doing harm with that as well. But again, um, I do like the free speech because when we look back on it, maybe even historians like hundreds of years in the future, they can look back on these things and, you know, think this is how us humans, this is how we thought at the time as a society, as a culture, I guess more from like a anthropological yeah. point of view. I think yeah. it's important. I, I don't know that I've ever exactly thought about it in exactly that context, but you're right. If speech is free, you get a picture of what people actually want to say, and that might indicate what they actually think and feel because they were free to express it. Whereas if you just say XYZ thing is off limits, you can't say it, you can't print it, you can't do whatever with it. We have no idea who was feeling that way. Was it four people or was it 400 million people? We don't know. So I guess that's another reason to keep speech free, maybe. Go ahead, Audra. I definitely think that the First Amendment should stand as is. I think that when we start imposing restrictions on what people can say, it's tantamount to restricting what you can think or who you can be. And I think that it would be the first step towards um, fascism in our country. And I think that people forget that, you know, everybody has this idea of like when they think of fascism, it's like, oh, it's it's always like the right wing. And there are definitely a lot of right wing extreme fascists. But people are kind of ignoring the fact that being liberal can also lead to fascism. And uh, I think that when you get these people saying like, no, 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 that hurts someone's feelings, you can't say that. That is a dangerous step to be making. I think that um, the extreme left poses just as much of a threat to the country as the extreme right. And I think people need to start coming into the middle more and just being people and seeing what they can agree on rather than focusing on what they can't agree on. Yeah, I think just the idea that you can call a position wherever it lands, if you can call it extreme that's an indication <laughs> that it's somewhere not where most people live. You know, if you're off to the extreme anywhere, well, they also call that the fringe, you know, and, and probably for a reason. Amy, go ahead. So I'm not going to give an opinion from an American perspective because I'm not an American. And I feel like if I comment on the First Amendment, I'm going to completely mess it up and say the wrong thing. Sure. So I'm going to say that... For me personally, I'm a huge supporter of the concept of freedom of speech. I think freedom of speech is absolutely essential to the progression of society. I think it's important that we should be able to discuss ideas, even if those ideas are controversial, because it's only by discussing those ideas that we attempt to arrive at a point 
that we can that we can at least try to agree on of what's best for society moving forward. Having said that, I don't think that freedom of speech should mean freedom of consequence. I don't think that. I think that as much as you should be able to say whatever you want, I think there should be a responsibility with it. I don't think that somebody should have the freedom to go up and just start outright bullying and condemning and victimising people under the guise of freedom of speech. To use trans people as an example, there is a huge difference between somebody going up to someone and saying, you're a fucking weird tranny, you need to die and, you know, unalive yourself and so on and so forth then somebody going up to someone and saying look i really don't like trans people i really don't get it i think it's weird i think it's disgusting and so on and so forth like the first one is attack using your freedom of speech to attack someone whereas the second one is stating your opinion on something but also leaving the floor potentially open to a discussion to see if there's any kind of mid-ground that the two of you can reach now I might be wrong in stating that and I'm open to being corrected but that is how I personally approach the concept of freedom of speech yeah and again this is really like sort of simplified terms here but the way it sort of works in America is that someone is free to say those things, any any version of those things. You can say the most hateful or rude version of a thing. You can say it, but also as part of your freedom of speech, you can be a, be a guy that runs Netflix. And as part of your freedom of speech, you're allowed to say, well, I'm not going to air your fucking comedy special if I don't want to. And that's you're free. You're free to set your own limits and not do that. However, freedom of speech relates mostly to government control. The government can't compel speech or forbid speech based on any topic or popularity or anything like that. But private citizens, we're allowed to say what we want to say, we're also able to forbid what we want to forbid. If I start a business and I don't want to have you do a certain thing in my establishment, it's my freedom to set the rules as I see fit, as long as they don't violate any other pre-existing laws or rules. So it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, I would agree that I do think people should not try to use the First Amendment as a shield for many and all consequences. But I don't think that the government should be stepping in um, when right. somebody said, you know, unless it's directly, you know, leading fine. So it's like, hey, let's go get a bunch of people and go attack this person or this place. Right. I, I do think that it's perfectly fine for people to decide, like, you know, they don't want to support you or they don't want to be around you or whatever because of what you're saying. Like, I, I, I think some people use the First Amendment as a shield. It's like, well, you can't not support my business because of X, Y or Z that I said. It's like, no, fuck you. Yes, I can. I can totally ignore you. As long as the government's not stepping in and making those decisions, I think it's fine. Right. Yeah. If somebody made a spoken word special or or anything and they just are up there espousing hateful rhetoric, if they're just, you know, some angry white guys up there just shouting about the N-word, I don't like that and I don't think he should do it. I don't think he should say that. I think it's shitty and, and dumb. But... I would be real upset if the government made a rule saying he's not allowed to say it. I don't think he should because I think it sucks, but 
don't dare <laughs> say that we can't express ourselves. You know, it's a it's a tricky road. I understand that free speech is a complex issue for some people, especially for people outside of the United States who haven't grown up with that as just a taken for granted background of life. You know, we take that for granted in America, but not everyone has that. So the simplified version of this next question is just, is Ricky Gervais transphobic? I think we've mostly covered, but what do you think? Um, I would say he's not, Um, especially, again, watching these specials and other things. I feel like I got a good grasp on his viewpoints. Again, I haven't sat down, had a pint with him, had talked to him face to face, (laughs) but the generic feel that I get, I don't think he's transphobic. I think when it comes down to the point when he's voting and stuff, he's voting, you know, uh, pro-choice, pro-healthcare for trans people. And I think he does believe that trans rights are human rights. I can see definitely how someone might watch his content and take it as he's transphobic. I could definitely see that. But personally, I do not think he is. I would agree that I do not think that Ricky Gervais himself is transphobic. But I think that he is willing to and has used transphobia to make money. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that Ricky Gervais is transphobic. Like any other comedian, I think he has the right to express his views and content. Um I've heard many interviews with him where he's actually been quite supportive of trans people and trans rights. But I do think that he uses transphobic rhetoric in this special and his previous special humanity in quite a negative way that I think does perpetuate and contributes towards discrimination within the community. Having said that, I don't think that he does it deliberately. I don't think that it's like a deliberate attempt to bring harm to the trans community. But I do think that it is essential with all comedians, as much as that I believe they should have the right to say what they want and create transgressive comedy, I do think it's essential that they should consider the impact of their words and the impact of harm that their words can have on, especially a minority community who's already suffering in the way that trans people are suffering at the moment as a whole. Yeah, understandable. Well, before I wrap up and let you all go, I want to make sure that Everyone feels like they got to express themselves and say everything that they wanted to. So if anyone has anything to add, by all means, feel free. You can take this time to express yourself. Go ahead, Audra. Yeah. So this was more of almost like a sidebar. There wasn't really a great place in our conversation to put this. But I have noticed that not just with Ricky Gervais, but pretty much any um, cisgendered comedian that I've seen talk about trans people, it's always trans women, um, never trans men. And I yeah. don't know why that is, but I'm interested in kind of just thinking about like, is that something to do with sexism? Is it more subversive for a man to kind of become a woman and shed the privilege of being male? Or like, why is it that the trans men are never included in the conversation, even if it's in these jokes? Yeah. I just find it strange. Yeah. You know, you're right. I, I guess – that is seemingly the way it plays out. It's much more common to see conversations about trans women generally. And I don't exactly know why that is. I, I don't have any numbers about 
how many trans men there are versus how many trans women. I don't know that. One of the contexts in which I often see trans issues at all brought up in the news or whatever is when it relates to trans athletes playing sports. And in that context, it's almost always trans women. Um, exactly. Because I guess the idea is that trans women perform exceptionally well within a women's division of a sport. Mm -hmm. Whereas if someone who was a female athlete and then transitioned to compete as a male athlete, there wouldn't be an interesting story to write about there because their performance would then be degraded relative to their counterparts. And so I guess yeah, I think that's the general conception. I mean, testosterone and estrogen do act on the body in very different ways. But yeah. I'd love to see um, like an actual just just set of scientific tests to be like, hey, what are the actual stats here? Because people make the assumptions. I want to know. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to even just know how many men are transitioning, how many women are transitioning. You know, it, mm -hmm. I, I, I've never really seen that. I've never looked for it, of course, but I'm unfamiliar. Um, I think it's interesting that Audra points that out. It's something that I hadn't really registered. And as soon as she pointed out, I was like, oh, my God, she's totally right. Um, a lot of stuff, especially in comedy, but I think in general, um, a lot of anti-trans stuff is usually pointed at trans women. And I feel like personally that it has to do with it's some gender thing. I'm not sure how to pinpoint it down. But for example, like if a guy were to go out with a trans woman and, you know, as soon as the pants come up, say they haven't, you know, gotten bottom surgery and they find out that this beautiful woman has a penis. I feel like guys or whoever they're with are specifically like cis men tend to like overreact <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, well, I'm not gay. It's like, no, you're not gay. This is a woman. Um, but whereas with like trans men who haven't had bottom surgery, like they're like, oh, that's fine that you still have a pussy. They're like, I like that. Right. And it's really weird. There's a lot of kind of like dating trans X too, where uh, again, with trans women, I guess also with men as well, where they'll be like, oh, you're trans and haven't had bottom surgery. You're the best of both worlds. And they're like, uh, Okay, that right. was really every time for. I hear that I want to fucking throw up. Dude, yeah. yeah, or like I've also is that a, heard... is that a common thing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Wow. There's also and I'm married. The... Like I'm not even in the dating world, and people say that shit to me. Like just random people that find out I'm trans. Right. It's gross. And then there's also uh, dating when they like find out someone's trans. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, we can date, but we have to keep it a secret." And it's so mm. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that's not going to be fun for anyone to hear. That that would suck. Amy, Quinn, Audra, sincerely thank you guys very much for joining me and sharing your perspectives. And thank you for being a part of Satanic Delco. Thank you for having us. All right, guys. Allow me to offer my closing thoughts on this matter, as if you asked for it. I think Ricky Gervais... Dave Chappelle, and plenty of other subjectively offensive comedians are funny. Back when I was a kid, I enjoyed George Carlin, Sam Kinison, and Andrew Dice Clay, among others. They offended many people, and they made me laugh. I have also felt the feeling of being sincerely offended by a joke. 
I've had my butt hurt when people joked about autistic kids and used the word retard. I have a son with autism, and when I heard it, it really stung and hurt my feelings. But I would never, ever consider supporting the censorship of their ability to tell those jokes. The result of tampering with our free speech is worse than the personal offense any of us will ever feel. Also, if I got the sense that Ricky Gervais, for example, was actually a transphobic or otherwise hateful person, I probably wouldn't be able to enjoy his comedy. If Ricky Gervais actually did have a bit where he punches a disabled toddler on stage, I would not enjoy his comedy. But because what he's doing is satire, I recognize it as comedy, and it makes me smile. And what we all need to do is focus more on the stuff that makes us smile. If you've got a moment out there, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. Stay safe out there, and Hail Satan. Ich bin nicht der Ebel, wie ich es